0: This evening, we find ourselves exploring a story that takes place early in the book of Acts. The kingdom of God has broken in through the healing of a man who has been crippled uh, for over 40 years. The apostles Peter and John encountered this man begging at the temple... And as they're walking by him, they must sense the Spirit's prompting to to intervene, to say something to him. And they pray for him, and they witness this amazing healing. The man who's been crippled for 40 years is immediately healed and begins to jump and dance around with joy. In the prophetic book of Isaiah, chapter 35, there's a description of the kingdom of God breaking in. And in this description, there's a line about what will happen. The lame will dance like deer skip, just like is happening to this man. And so, in this story in Acts, it seems as if the good news of Jesus is coming to pass in and through the ministry of the church. This is it. What could possibly go wrong? The reality is, as we discussed the last time we got together for worship, is that whenever the kingdom of God breaks in, it has to displace whatever kingdom was already there, either displace it or it has to alter it in some way. In this case, it's, the, it's disrupting the, the order and, of the political and re- religious establishment of the day. So Peter and John are sharing the good news that Jesus is raised from the dead, that he is the one who healed this man, and while they are telling the crowds and inviting these crowds of awestruck bystanders to come and follow Jesus, the authorities begin to show up. They don't recognize Peter and John as authorized teachers And the last thing that the religious authorities want is unauthorized teachers misleading the crowds into thinking not only that Jesus rose from the dead, but that he could offer resurrection for them. So they arrest Peter and John and question them, thinking that these two fishermen would be no match for the wise and educated and savvy leaders of the law, but they couldn't have been more wrong. Peter seems to have a confidence that far exceeds his training or his position. Instead of being on the defensive, or instead of being scared, Peter boldly makes an airtight case, not for his innocence, but for the validity of his teaching, that the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, is the only one who can save. We pick up the story now, while Peter and John are still in the custody of these authorities. Would you stand with me as we read the book of Acts, not the whole thing, just just chapter 4, verses 13 through 22. Now they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men. They were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. But when they had ordered them to leave the council, they began to confer with one another, saying, what then shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle had taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we can't deny it. But so that it will not spread any farther among the people, let us threaten them not to speak any longer about this name. That's the name of Jesus, right? But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it's right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than God, you must be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen, what we have heard. When they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which to punish them on account of the people, because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. For the man was more than 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. Lord, thank you for this word that is living and active, that instructs not only our minds and our theology, but has something to say to our hearts and our lives. Would you reveal what that is to us today through the power of your Spirit? Amen. You may be seated. I mean, it continues to be an amazing story, right? On so many levels. On a higher theological level, we see Jesus' word in Acts 1.8 coming to pass. In that passage, the fledgling church were all gathered in Jerusalem, not knowing what was going to happen, what life was going to be like. And so before Jesus ascends to be with the Father, Jesus says to them, just wait. For power from on high to come and empower you, that's the Holy Spirit, and I will make you my witnesses. That's what he says, he promises in Acts eight. And in our story now in Acts 4, Peter and John are filled with the Spirit and they have been the vessels through which the Spirit has healed this man. And now standing before those, uh, the who's who of religious authorities in Jerusalem, they are witnesses to the resurrection power of Jesus unleashed on the world. I mean, that's a, that's a huge theological statement. It's really cool. We could deduct from that, like Jesus keeps his word. And Jesus said, I'm going to make you witnesses. And we see it happening. Jesus says, you're going to receive the spirit. And we see it happening. That's, yay, theology lesson. That's a great one. You could put that in your notes and be better off for it. Okay? It's encouraging. Furthermore, these religious leaders can't deny that the healing has happened. After all, the guy who got healed is standing with them. I wonder if they just overlooked that. Like, it would have been smarter to like, kill him or put him in prison somewhere else. But he's like there with them as they're on trial. It's really ridiculous. He's exhibit A. And so from this 30,000-foot view, this passage is encouraging. You know, it may have seemed to Peter and John that things weren't going well since they were in prison, but to the early church who's reading this, having knowing how the story ends already, and to us reading this account, we are led to understand that the Word of God is coming to pass. You can say amen. Woo! That's great. Amen. Right, okay. And it, it always comes to pass, and we can take confidence in that, and, and I need confidence in that on a regular basis. Okay. But this evening, I want to drop down below the 30,000 foot view, not because it's wrong, like all the stuff I just said is right, but because there's something the Lord has put on my heart to preach, and it requires us to consider the more personal and intimate implications of the passage. What does it mean that the disciples were recognized as having been with Jesus? What could it mean for us? Peter and John were fishermen. They were not academics. They had not gone to seminary. They had not been trained in any particular school of rhetoric. They were not philosophers in the traditional sense. And yet the highly educated religious authorities were amazed at their confidence since they were, quote, untrained and uneducated men. Now these terms, uneducated untrained, are misleading. That's how we get around in English, translating these Greek words. What they mean is that Peter and John were not what we might call lettered. They didn't have degrees. They didn't have letters by their name. They didn't have certifications by an authorized seminary or university. They didn't go to an accredited school. They didn't undergo the standard educational process of the scribes or the priestly class. But that does not mean that they were not trained or educated. The key is in Luke's phrase: they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. You know, the apple does not fall far from the tree. Does anyone know what the Coast Guard motto is? Come on, people. No, it's kidding. I don't expect anyone to know. Semper Paratus. Semper Paratus, always ready. Now, seven years I spent in the Coast Guard, plus my type oneness on the Enneagram is a strange combination. It has made me the kind of dad that says things like, the reason we're late for school is because you're not Semper Paratus. Okay, it drives my kids crazy. (laughs) I'm sure they hate it. One of the small battles with my kid or one of my children is that she is fond of when she gets home, she slips her shoes off without untying them. We live in a wet climate, don't we? Do you know what happens when a wet double knot dries in a double knot? It's hard to get out. It's not semper paratus to not have your shoes ready. What if you're on a mission and you've got to get those shoes on quickly? So the other day, I'm trying to get the kids out to school, right? And, um, and the one child is falling behind, and I'm grabbing my wallet out of another room, and I hear an older sister say, you're not Semper Paratus. <laughs> if you were Semper Paratus, you'd be ready on time. And it is at that moment, I recognize this older daughter as having been with her father. The religious leaders recognized Peter and John as having been with Jesus. Listen to what religious leaders said about Jesus one time, as recorded in John 17. But when he was now in the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began to teach. The Jews, John's way of saying the religious leaders, then were astonished, saying, "'How has this man become learned, having never been educated?' Talking about Jesus. Jesus answered and said to them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God, or whether I just speak for myself. Not educated. Jesus, who was in the beginning with God, who was God and is God, through whom all things have been created, the one who invented the human brain, Jesus, not educated. Jesus, the one uh, who at 12 years old was reasoning with the priests in in the temple, expounding on the scriptures with the scribal scholars of the day. Jesus, who after he taught, had people respond with words like, what kind of teaching is this? Not as our scribal scholars, but as one with authority. Jesus, not educated. Not educated in the schools of the religious leaders. That's how he wasn't educated. That's true but he was educated in the ways of the Father. And Peter and John had been both educated and trained for around three years by Jesus. And I am not saying that they took a couple of correspondence courses with Jesus online. I am not saying that they listened to a few Jesus podcasts once in a while. The rabbi-disciple relationship was intimate and holistic. There's a saying by uh, disciples of of one famous rabbi that disciples of a famous rabbi long to wear the dust of the rabbi's feet. That means that they followed so closely wherever their rabbi went that the dust kicked up by his footsteps would cling to their clothing and their hair. Peter and John were educated and well-trained in the school of Jesus. They'd been to his school of prayer His school of interpreting the scriptures, his school of ethics, his school of evangelism, his school of ministry and the power of the Spirit, his school of a life lived to the glory of God, his school of the upside-down kingdom where down is up and up is down, where the poor in spirit are called blessed. The disciples went to that school, where the humble meek inherit the earth, where those who weep over the state of the nation and the world are to be comforted and satisfied, where those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will know satisfaction Satisfaction and justice. They come from the school of Jesus, where students know that the merciful receive mercy, the pure in heart see God, and the peacemakers, not the warmongers, are called to be sons and daughters of the living God. That's the school that Peter and John went to. They were educated and well trained. And the religious leaders recognized this training in them, they had been with Jesus. And I wonder, what do people see in you and me? Do they recognize us as being Jesus people, or do they recognize something else, someone else? And as always, I know that when we gather for worship, we're in a mixed crowd. You know, Some of you have been following Jesus a long time. Many of you are followers of his. To you I ask people who do they recognize in you but i also know that there's people exploring faith you're here to maybe learn about who jesus is before you have begun m- making a commitment to follow him and so i ask you from what you know of jesus so far do you recognize any of us as having been with him do you know many people who you recognize in your life as having been with jesus How would we know? What might we expect from a person who has been with Jesus, who wears the dust of their master's sandals? We don't have an exhaustive list. Um, We don't have time for an exhaustive list. And I'm not sure I'm the guy who could give you an exhaustive list. But I do know, I think, four main areas of our lives that would be affected, changed, where a person who is devoted to Jesus would be altered in a positive way. And So if you're a note taker, there's four things. First, your whole life begins to take on the fragrance and the purpose, the way of Jesus. It totally like kind of wrecks with the way you've been living. The biblical word is repentance. And what that means is that when Jesus gets a hold of you, You change your direction, and you begin to live differently in every part of your life, ethically, morally, how you use your finances, how you spend your time, what you consider important, how you come to the conclusion about what is right and wrong and true and false. All of it. An example from Scripture would be Zacchaeus, the tax collector, He was a man who amassed great wealth and great social status by overtaxing his own countrymen. He was a Jewish man who worked as a tax agent for the Roman Empire. He took advantage of people and made himself a luxurious life by walking on other people. In many ways, Zacchaeus was living, he was winning at the American dream. And when he encountered the love and hospitality of Jesus... He repented. He confessed his sin. He turned his life around. He offered to give back up to four times the amount that he had stolen from other people as a way of, uh, of being generous in his restitution. For Zacchaeus, such a move was more than merely financial. It was more than praying a private prayer and starting to go to church rather than watching NFL on Sundays. By by following Jesus, he would have lost his whole way of living his whole way of interacting with the world. He would have had to unlearn seeing people as objects from which he could take things and start seeing people uh, to be loved and known and understood and served. Zacchaeus didn't just start following Jesus and then all of a sudden become perfect. Just like the rest of us, he would have started on a lifelong process of unlearning sinful perspectives and relearning the way of Jesus. Jesus had this quality that when you're around him, you want to become more like him, more true, more alive, more real, a better version of yourself. People who we recognize as having been with Jesus has, have that effect on us too, don't they? Had you have someone in your life or have you had someone in your life that when you're around them, a follower of Jesus, they make you want to be a better person, more whole, more real, more, more alive. The second marker of those who have been with Jesus is that they can't keep Jesus to themselves. Once you encounter the one who loves you, like you've always longed to be loved, once you trust in the one who makes you truly want to live, truly live life. Once you belong to Jesus, you want other people to know him too. Peter and John were willing to risk death, were willing to risk incarceration. They're like, "Hey, whether it's right or wrong to listen to you guys, we've got to preach what we've heard and seen. You be the judge if if we should do that or not." Earlier we heard the scripture reading from John 4 from Candice and Lucy. That was awesome. It's a story of the Samaritan woman drawing water from around noon uh, in the middle of the day. And you've probably heard um, that Samaritans were looked down upon by most Jewish people in the first century AD. And furthermore, you've probably heard that most women gathered water in two times of the day, in the morning when it was cool and in the evening when it was cool. And maybe you also had heard that women would travel in groups together when they gathered water. Because frankly, a woman traveling by herself, who is unattached, unaccompanied, is basically saying, I would like to start being attached, and that would be an easy process. But this woman, gathering water at high noon in the heat of the day, and alone, likely meant that she was avoiding the other women. We learn in the story that she's had a scandalous record with men, Even by today's standards, five husbands is a lot. You really have to try to to make that track record. And and as we also learn, the man that she's currently with is not her husband. She seems to be a woman who's far down a path of regret and shame, which when someone is down a path like that, it shuts most of the doors in life, doesn't it? And the ones that remain open to you generally lead further down a path of shame. She has no girlfriends to gather water with. She's what you might call stuck. She isn't respected by men. Likely, she's a target for them, and she's a Samaritan ever under the judgmental shadow of the Jewish elite and leaders. But then Jesus encounters her at a well, a Jew, a man, a teacher. And yet, instead of ignoring her, or condemning her, or propositioning her, probably the most common responses to this woman, Jesus engages her. And asks her, actually, he asks her for help. Can you give me a drink of water? Through a series of questions and answers, through conversation with Jesus, the Samaritan woman encounters God's love and his acceptance and his forgiveness. She encounters God's presence in the person of Jesus. And because of that, she will never be the same. Because she encountered Jesus, she now feels like she has this spring of living water welling up inside of her. She's a new person. She's become so filled with the good news that her earthen water pot is of no longer any use to her. Well, she's got to drink water, but you know what I mean. At that moment in the story, she leaves the earthen water pot And she runs back to her town to tell people about Jesus. You know, one of the amazing things about the Samaritan woman is that she had very good reasons to hate the people in her town. They shunned her. They hated her. But despite all the sinful things she had done, and despite probably a lot of the sinful things that a lot of men had done to her, uh, she found acceptance in Jesus and she couldn't help but share that good news with the people in her hometown. You know, part of the good news of Jesus is that your past does not have to define you. Your past does not have to define you. The Samaritan woman was so filled with the new life of Jesus that she became free to move forward rather than being stuck in the past. I think that's a message that's ever relevant, right? Through the power of Jesus, you and I are free to move forward without being stuck in our past. That is so freeing and powerful. Unfortunately, that message is not heard enough in the church, right? Well, you heard it here. It's in the Bible, and it's really good news. In our story in Acts, observe what the religious leaders notice about Peter and John. They recognize them as having been with Jesus in the school of Jesus, practicing the way of Jesus, acting like Jesus. Remember, among those present at this trial scene are Caiaphas and Annas and the and the captain of the temple guard, they're the ones interrogating Peter and John. Now, check this out. The captain of the temple guard is the same guy who was there arresting Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. What happened in the garden of Gethsemane? What did Peter do with the sword? He cut off the ear of the captain of the guard's slave. And what happened to John? Does anyone remember? He had a little, little streak show, didn't he? he the, the Roman soldiers went to grab him and he got away. He weaseled out of his garment and he ran away naked, the Bible says. A coward. But the text does not say. They recognized them as having been a hothead with a temper and a coward who abandoned his master at, the t- at his time and need. Peter famously denied Jesus three times. Where did that happen? Do you remember? In whose courtyard? Annas and Caiaphas the place of the high priest, and he denied Jesus three times to a servant girl of the high priest. And yet the text doesn't say they recognize Peter as having been a liar and a betrayer of Jesus. Why not? Because Peter and John didn't remain in their sin. They received the forgiveness of Jesus. They received the Holy Spirit. And they began to follow the way of Jesus just as the woman at the well shared Jesus with a hometown who had treated her poorly. They were sharing the good news of Jesus with with the very people who crucified him and now are arresting them. Who are you sharing Jesus with in word and deed? Let me just even take a step back that's getting into my comfort zone don't mess with me that's my job i'm messing with me too who are you praying for that that, that will come to know jesus and his love the third mark of someone who has been with jesus is that they want more of jesus Sometimes we think that the original disciples were the only one who who could have possibly been with him. After all, he's not here anymore, at least not in the sense that he was before his ascension. But through his Holy Spirit, we can be with Jesus, gathered as the community of disciples like we are right now. So congratulations, Jesus is here with us. We're with Jesus in prayer and in sacrament, like we're going to share in a moment, in reflection of the scriptures and in serving other people. And I encourage you, if it has been a while, if you feel dry or distant from Jesus, you can ask him for help. And I, I, again, I am preaching to myself. Sometimes I get in these ruts and I just forget, like, I can ask Jesus to help me want him more. I can ask Jesus to fill me with more love for him. He loves to do that. He loves to answer that prayer. So I'd encourage you, if you're feeling dry or washed up or distant, ask him for help. I don't think he wants anything more than that, actually, but for you to be close to him. Now, I recognize that you could be sitting here right now, not feeling very good about yourself. By the time I got to this point in concocting this sermon and working through the text, I wasn't feeling real good about myself and living up to these three marks of a disciple of Jesus. You might be wondering if anyone would recognize you as being a person who had been with Jesus. And if that's the case, you probably don't feel like sharing Jesus with very many people because you might feel like it's being fake since you don't feel very close to him. And if you're struggling with the first two things, I know this sounds like a give a mouse a cookie book, right? But if you're struggling with the first two things, then you may not be spending too much time in Scripture and prayer with Jesus either. Maybe you're thinking... What if I haven't been with Jesus? What if my faith is gone? That's where the fourth mark of a person who has been with Jesus is such good news for us. At least it's good news for those who are poor in spirit. Because the fourth mark of the person who is recognized as having been with Jesus is humility. Humility. In our passage, the religious leadership reveals a hardness of heart. They're confronted with an undeniable miracle. The man who they knew, being the guy who begged alms on the temple steps for 40 years, they know this guy. The community knows this guy. He's there standing up in front of them. He's saying they did it. They said Jesus did it. That's hard to deny. At least it's hard to deny that the guy's well, like he's dancing like a deer and all that stuff. But they didn't want the message of Jesus, and they didn't want the resurrection message spread to the people. And you know, right at this point, they had the opportunity to change their minds. Caiaphas and Annas and the others could have repented in humility and accepted Jesus as the healer of the man, as the Lord of all, as their Savior. They could have said, wow, this is great evidence. I see uh, Isaiah 35 coming to pass here. Um, We've been waiting for this. I was wrong the whole time. I see it. Boom. Instead, they harden their hearts and push Jesus further away. You know, sometimes we are led to believe that following Jesus is all about making a one-time decision where we pray a prayer and we get baptized and come to church And then everything else just stays the same. And that's what Christianity is. That's kind of how I grew up. I don't know about you. Sometimes we're led to believe that following Jesus is just something you do once and when you feel like it. But the Christian life is about humility. It's a life of a thousand repentances it's more than a decision or a, or a prayer. It's a way of being in which we remain open to Jesus, changing our views, our hardness of heart, our fears, our sinful patterns of thinking and behaving, our selfishness, our insecurity, a life of a thousand repentances in which Jesus gently through our lifetime of being humble and open to him will continue to take us further in and farther up shaping and refining. If you feel like maybe you've been unrecognizable as having been with Jesus, don't despair. Humility In humility, we can confess those things. It is good for us to be humble. It is right for us to seek forgiveness. It it, it keeps our hearts soft and open to the work of Jesus. So as we prepare now to draw close to the table of communion, let me just offer us as a way to land this sermon a moment of silent confession. If God has spoken to you, convicted you in any way, confess those things and ask for his help. Let's pray.